Hey everybody, welcome to episode 53 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. On today's show, we will be speaking with Leslie Kim. She is an artist, climber, and creator of t-shirt company Dynamite Starfish. This episode may be a little different than some in the past, as we spend a lot of time talking about the circuitous career path that Leslie embarked upon before stumbling upon graphic design and climbing and melding those two things together. But I do always say, first and foremost, this show is about the personalities who appear on the show, and I think this episode does a great job of capturing the personality of a very cool person. So let us head now to Echo Park, where the Beastie Boys once recorded a music video for their song Nettie's Girl, and speak with Leslie Kim. My name is Leslie Kim. I do a lot of different things, I guess. I think the way I like to describe it is that I'm an artist, I'm a designer, and I'm a human being. And now I guess I'm a climber. I can say that officially now. Those are kind of all the elements that make up what I do on a day-to-day basis. So I kind of entertain like the technical part of my brain by doing graphic design. It's To me, it's like being a car mechanic. You kind of just solve a problem and put things together and put all the pieces of the puzzle together and you come out with this like outcome. I also have like a big drive for creativity. So I've been doing art since I was really, really young. Spent most of my life never showing it to anyone until I finally became really unhappy with that. So I started doing like little shows here and there, um, making illustrations that I thought were at least meaningful to me, like maybe not to anybody else. But it turned out later that other people found them meaningful. So I started doing more and more of them until I started actually doing them with the intent for other people to see. So that's kind of how I started making art, I guess. And then kind of naturally as I started climbing, I started making art about climbing. So that's kind of what I do now. I would say like on the human being front, I'm always <laughs> clearly... I just want to point out that I like that you specified you're a human being, which leads me to believe that perhaps there are rumors to the contrary that you want to dispel immediately. Oh, yeah. I think some people may have their doubts whether I'm actually a human being or not. I mean, I say that because... I believe that I'm on like a quest to be a more full human being. So whatever that may mean, like bringing all of the different parts of yourself into balance and kind of like embracing everything that it means to to be alive and be human in this world. So you think there's more to being a human being than just consuming random items for your own personal gain? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be onto something there. <laughs> if only more people would maybe share that approach, the way the world could change. But you should definitely buy t-shirts. That's what you should do. <laughs> Speaking of being a better person who doesn't consume things, please purchase t-shirts, specifically from Dynamite Starfish. So you said that you were illustrating when you were a kid, mm-hmm. which I can identify with. And you didn't want to share it with people for a long time. I want to know if you had this same experience that I had. When you were a kid and you drew something, did you always walk over to your mom and show her the picture when you were done for a while at first? Maybe. Maybe when I was, like, very, very young. Mm -hmm. But I think as 
as I got older, like, you no. St- right, you stopped. Yeah. But if you did that, was there a reaction that you got? Not really. Okay, because this is... The, the, <laughs> they were always like, oh, this, this, nice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when I was a kid, I would draw something and I'd show it to my mom. And maybe I spent like half an hour or as I got a little bit older, like an hour or something on it. And I'm so proud of what I've completed. And I'd bring it over to her. And she wants to be supportive. But what she would say is, oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's really which, funny. <laughs> which, was the, which was why I stopped showing oh, her no. That's terrible. It's but it, a, it's so funny that you mentioned that because one of my good friends has a blog called Oh That's Nice. Right. And it's just like her saying things and like the general reaction is just like, oh, that's nice. But it's very cute. It's almost worse than no reaction. <laughs> you're, you're eight years old and you just spent an hour trying to make Garfield a superhero or something and you're so <laughs> proud of what you did and then you walk over and you expect something and you get a, oh, that's cute, which is the same thing you got for every other thing you ever showed her. My apologies to my mom. I know she meant well, (laughs) but that drove me crazy as a kid. It is a little depressing. I wonder if kids want constructive criticism or (laughs) actual feedback. Or or just, oh, cool, look at that. Look at that thing you did right there. Oh, oh, nice, Garfield's flying through the sky. Just, Just something to show that you are recognizing what it is and that it's not just some other thing. Because cute is just such a... Yeah. It's not a derogatory term, but it, doesn't it, it mean can anything. be. Right. It's, yeah. it's like there's a difference between saying something's cute and something's beautiful. And if you're a kid and you just spent an hour on something <laughs> and then you're like, oh, it's cute. It brings it down <laughs> to this level. You're like, oh, I accomplished nothing. <laughs> but anyway, enough about my childhood drama. Let's talk about your childhood. Oh, no. <laughs> so where did you grow up? Where were you drawing these pictures that you were hiding away, not showing to anybody? Actually, not too far from here. I grew up, I'm like an L.A. native, so I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I'm a fellow 818 area code. What part of San Fernando Valley were you in? Chatsworth. Oh, okay. So you grew up um, in hot, hot Chatsworth yeah, near Stony Point. Yeah, I grew up in the Deep Valley. It was actually only maybe a mile or two away from Stony Point. I'm a little bummed that I didn't climb when I was a kid because I think I really would have enjoyed it. And I was so close to Stony Point. Did you go there at all as a kid? Stony Point was kind of the place where all the kids went to get drunk right. or get high or just like hang out. And for I people would... listening that don't know what Stony Point is, which is probably everyone that's not in Los Angeles. It's a street side crag in that it's a huge pile of rocks that are, I guess, probably a couple hundred feet tall, right next to the main road. You can do everything there from climbing to rappelling practice to being homeless and living there to doing drugs, getting drunk, breaking glass bottles, spraying graffiti. So it's very much an urban I think the guidebook is actually called Yeah, Urban it's Rock. called that, right? Yeah, yeah. So the guidebook is called Urban Rock. So yeah. that should give you an indication. But a lot a lot of the really respected Yosemite climbers yeah. started out training there. So it does have some history other than yeah. broken glass and hypodermic needles. But that's all I knew like when I was in high school. It was like, oh, like these delinquent kids are going to Stony Point to like do drugs or whatever. And you were a good kid. Well, I wouldn't say I was like a good kid, but I also wasn't like like a drug addict so I wasn't doing weekly runs to Stony Point to do whatever so but. instead you were drawing things and hiding them <laughs> under your mattress where no one would ever see them for 20 years sure I don't know if I was like <laughs> hiding them actively but I just didn't really think that they were like worth like showing to any well like for any reason I mean I took art classes in high school and you know like I'd submit my stuff to like a high school show and you know it was there but I never really thought I'd make it a career I never thought I'd be doing it for the rest of my life like I knew it was part of me 
just as something that I did on the side as a hobby, but I don't think I really understood like how much value it had to me and like how I processed things until like much, much later, like probably actually 20 years later. So you just kind of thought of it as a thing you did instead yeah. of a defining feature of your personality yeah. until much later? Yeah. I mean, like, I grew up as an only child, so it was really, like, my only hobby. So does that mean you're crazy? Are you are you a crazy, selfish only child? Oh, God, definitely. <laughs> I'm such an insane person. <laughs> but, yeah, like, both of my parents worked. My grandma was the one who was home with me most of the time. So for me, it was just a lot of drawing, like, how easy is it for a kid who's, like, 12 to really, like, relate to your grandma who was like 70 or something so yeah I just I made a lot of art I did a lot of painting did a lot of like random crafting popsicle stick sculptures many <laughs> many popsicle stick sculptures have you returned to that art form because I, I hope that you do I'm really hoping it makes a comeback you should you should create El Cap out of popsicle sticks oh that's entirely. a hard one no you can do it I have, really fa- I have complete one. faith in you yeah it could it could be like a long-term project yeah, whenever you go assuming that you go to conventions or whatever and get a booth either sure. now or at some point you could have your popsicle stick El Cap as part of your setup and you can have your t-shirts lined up alongside of it well that could be something that I can work on at a booth while I'm not making any sales there you go <laughs> so let's talk about that let's talk about how you transitioned from I, I draw and I hide them under my mattress <laughs> which is the image I have in my head despite how inaccurate it is to oh this is actually part of my personality and part of how I define myself and maybe I want to do more than just draw pictures and hide them from everyone. I feel like that's actually a pretty long story. That's okay this podcast (laughs) is not short. After high school I went to UC Irvine um, straight out of high school. I actually applied as a double major in philosophy and linguistics. I didn't really know anything about either one, but I knew I wanted to learn about the way language works because I think I was interested in writing, but I didn't really know that about myself either. Like, I think there's this common thread between different languages that you can capture through art and music and and sound, really. And that was something that I was really interested in, so I thought linguistics was the field that I wanted to study. Based on your face, I can tell that that (laughs) thought turned out to be incorrect. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) I think I took my first linguistics class. I was so bored, I forgot to take my midterm, and I, like, just barely scraped by with a C at the end, and I was like, "I'm, I'm done with this class. So there was that and philosophy. I never really took any philosophy classes, but, you know, it was always, like, an interest of mine, like, how people think and see the world. Like, Mm -hmm. that, I think, is really interesting. I still haven't, like, fully studied philosophy. Maybe one day I'll, like, go and take an actual class or, like, read some more about great philosophers. So wait, did you not study at, it at all? No. <laughs> well, I thought you were, I thought you were trying, so you just changed your mind at some point and yes. said, well, I was so wrong about this linguistics thing. I'm well, not even going to bother with these philosophy classes. So here's what happened. I went in as those two double majors, right? And then my mom is a pharmacist. I like that you chose two fields that were the wrong decision as a double major. You didn't say, well, let me see if one of these, or you, just, you just immediately decide, no, these two things are what I do. I haven't done them yet, but I'm going to do both of these simultaneously. This is like a running thing in my life. It's just, All right, I'll I don't know talk. what I'm doing, but we'll, we'll go for both. So my mom is a pharmacist and like the way I've been raised since I was really young is like science is where the money is at. So that's like what you have to study. So I went in with these two very strange and inapplicable majors as my 
as my goal. While I was in orientation, somehow my mom convinced me to become a biology major. <laughs> <laughs> and let me guess, you didn't know anything about biology at that point either. I mean, not really. Like, <laughs> growing up with a pharmacist as your mom, there are a lot of, like, textbooks around. And, like, I always read them and I looked at them. And I enjoy physiology. It's definitely interesting. And I, I was, like, pretty good at it in high school. But somehow she convinced me, like to just go to the biology orientation, see if it seemed like something I could do. And I think I'm just like a really tolerant person. So I went to the orientation and I was like, okay, like this is what you learn. Like, I guess I could do it. And the way my mom put it was like, well, just see if you think you can sit through it. And if you can, then that's the major you should do. Uh, that sounds like a great way to pick, <laughs> pick what you're going to do for the rest of your life. It was terrible, <laughs> but it definitely backfired on her. <laughs> I did it for a year and a half. And after a year and a half, I started to feel very, very stuck. Like, biology was really interesting. Um, I was learning a lot. I was studying pretty hard. I was actually really heavy into martial arts, and that was what I did. I want to say I trained, like, six times a week. All right, what um, style? Not oh that God. I'm going to know what it is. But... <laughs> it's called Bujinkan Budo Taijutsu. <laughs> that is a very short name. <laughs> so, so what does that mean, essentially? Um, is it, like, defensive, offensive? throws, kicks. All of the above. It's very holistic, which is why I was drawn to it. I've done martial arts also since I was a little kid. I did Taekwondo when I was really young. I mean, I'm Korean, so it just comes with the blood. <laughs> they give you a birth certificate and a martial arts certificate at birth? Is I that what you're so. <laughs> and after a while, I actually realized, like, oh, hey, like, this isn't really for me. Like, I'm starting to blow out my knees. Like, how come everyone who has a second-degree black belt has knee surgery? Like, that's not good. So I started, like, thinking of other options and I, I really wanted to stop doing it but my parents are very like hard goal based so they're like you must get a black belt and then you can do whatever you want so it's like okay fine you're paying for it so like you could always have spray painted your orange belt or something I, I could have that would have been a good idea if you would have hung out at Stony Point the drug addict kids would have come up with that idea for you oh god you know. definitely the things I was missing in my childhood all right so martial arts that you didn't want to do anymore biology that you got tricked into that you didn't want to do anymore yep. where, where did we go from there I decided I needed a change in life I was really unhappy with the city of Irvine it was very very granola and it reminded me a little bit of Resident Evil, where like you have the Burbank town and it has this like, why is there a nuclear reactor on campus? But it was like this really, really perfect town where there are these really perfect families and everything is great and there's no crime and everything is clean, there are no homeless people. And I think I just got really like frustrated. And so I felt like I needed to leave. So I started looking at options through EAP, which is the Education Abroad Program. And I had never really spent any time in Asia. So I was like, well, that's cool. Like, maybe I'll go to Asia. It was also the time that SARS was really big. So China was off limits. And a lot of like the more third world countries were like, you just weren't allowed to go there. And there was also a lot of like bombings in Indonesia at the time. So they were also not allowing us Let's to go there. Let's summarize this for everyone. <laughs> Man, linguistics and philosophy, that was wrong. Biology, that was wrong. Moving to this idealized place where no one can hurt me, that's wrong. I'm sick of this martial arts crap. Hey, Asia, oh, they've got SARS there, and they have bombings. Maybe I should go there. So how did that turn out? 
It turned out well. I actually ended up going to Singapore, which is like the cleanest Asian country, with a bunch of other like UC students, and it was all very controlled and all of that stuff. But then again, I was also drawn towards like more of the less commercial areas. So I started going to like Malaysia. We went on trips to Indonesia, and like a lot of kids went on trips there to like go to the resorts and go to the beach and like enjoy. I actually really enjoyed watching the way people lived. Like there was something really ingenious about the way people lived in the third world. Like having seven people ride on a scooter. Like that's ridiculous. Like you're never going to see that in America. But that's just the way they live, and that's. I think there's something really creative about that. So you know what it sounds like. <laughs> what you didn't know you were doing is becoming interested in sociology yes. instead of philosophy. Yes. And at the same time, I was actually taking some sociology classes that were really interesting to me. I, I think I just really enjoyed that about traveling. I ended up dropping out of school after that because I realized like biology wasn't for me. I was spending like hours and hours in the bio labs, like trying to make plants grow, and everything I touch just dies. Like I think I just have like the black touch of death when it comes to plants. And it's still that way. I'll like buy a basil plant from Trader Joe's and like it'll look beautiful and within two weeks it's like a black stem. <laughs> so we should not send you to Mars. No. Oh god no. <laughs> I would I would destroy everything. So you moved to Asia so you could study inadvertently sociology. <laughs> Stop studying biology, and then what happened? You didn't contract SARS, No, correct? I did not. That's good. After that, I actually moved to Australia for a year. So you just became a globetrotter. I guess so. I was engaged to someone who I met in Asia who lived in Australia, and so I had really cheap rent. My parents actually wouldn't let me go unless I was going to school. So I looked into a physical therapy program there because that was like definitely something I was interested in. Because you couldn't dare stick to one thing, right? <laughs> Absolutely like, well, not. Well, I've got Australia, so it should be a new thing now. Well, it was related to biology, and I was still transitioning out of biology. Ah, so this was a clever ruse. Yeah. What happened was I got really sick during the orientation, and I found out that I would have to take eight classes my first year in order to even, like, qualify for the program. And then I kind of questioned, like, am I really that motivated to continue studying, like, health sciences? And I realized, oh, maybe I'm not. And this is kind of where the art thing came into play, because I had still been making art this entire time. And it was actually how I wrote down all my biology notes and my chemistry notes. They were all in like little drawings and like steps of how one thing became another thing. So are you one of those people where if somebody says, hey, can I borrow your notes? I wasn't in class today. You <laughs> hand them to them and then they say, oh, shit. I have no idea what any of this means. <laughs> is, that, is that how your notes were? Or were they like really well illustrated examples of what was being talked about and then therefore the best notes that you could borrow from somebody? I don't I don't know if anyone really borrowed my notes. I think most of it was written, but if there was like an easier way to express something through like a little mini illustration, like I'd do it that way. Just mostly out of like the need for speed, because you know, lecturers talk really fast and you just have to like write down a lot of information at once. So I started doing that and I think I learned, oh, like this is how I process information, like, like spatial processing. The person I was with at the time told me like, he was an architecture student. So he told me like, hey, I, I've seen the way that you process information. I kind of know the way you think and I think graphic design could be a cool field for you. 
and I didn't know what graphic design was like I didn't even know you could get a job as a graphic designer or like what that job even meant but I went and talked to one of the professors and he was like okay like bring a portfolio we'll see if we can put you in the program I literally brought a stack of eight and a half by 11 sheet paper. Pulled them all out from under your mattress. <laughs> yeah. Just been sitting there for years. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, literally, that was what it was. I was like, here's a stack of drawings. Like, can I be in the program? And they were like, cool. Yeah. This doesn't pertain to selling cereal or coffee beans, but it's a beginning. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Um, and I think through graphic design, like, I ended up taking a lot of sociology classes inadvertently because you learn about how art affects culture and how art and design is a reflection of popular culture. And that was, I thought, like really cool to learn. So that was a lot of first year theory. Still not doing any real graphic design yet. I was pretty good at like doing computer stuff because I had always like had a computer when I was younger. So it, it seemed like it was going pretty well. I still didn't know what the job was. <laughs> <laughs> Even after like a year of, of studying graphic design. And I think I was really confused for a long time because uh -huh. I was like, oh, like we make signs and logos, I think. Yeah, it's a really hard thing to explain to people. And you, you might not know this. I, I do a fair amount of graphic design hmm. as well. And, I, and historically I have. It's one of those jobs that you could be working on marketing materials and advertising materials, or it could very well be the sign for the store. Yeah. Or it could be a website. It's just whatever graphical representation of a product or a commodity or a service exists. So it can it can be a wide gamut of so many things. And it's one of those things people take for granted. Like, for instance, I used to do graphics for the news. I was having this exact conversation with someone yesterday where they were like, well, what did you do there? And then I started to say, well, you know, all the, all the names you see on the screen and then the graphics you see over people's shoulders. And then when it goes to a full screen and it says, this person's missing. Mm. And then she said like, oh, yeah never even thought about I just think of that as the thing that's there I think people don't realize every time you see something it's nice to create that when you're watching probably not either of us but when other people are watching <laughs> football games sure every single time you see a graphic up there every time you see a logo for some company that's something that a designer created yeah and so if you still don't know what graphic design <laughs> is open your eyes and if it isn't a photograph it was probably created by a graphic designer <laughs> Like literally everything. <laughs> and even if it is a photograph, it was probably put together with some other items like text and illustrations by a graphic designer. That's a really good way to put it. I don't think I've heard a better explanation, actually. <laughs> oh, I hope someone had a more concise explanation. <laughs> it's a really long resume page. If only what do you do? Here's that. five pages explaining. <laughs> I like, though, that you said you were also interested in sociology at the same time when you started to realize that art was a thing because art for art's sake is empty and has no purpose. Art always needs other things so that you can express them through sure. art. So I think it makes a lot of sense that you became interested in cultures and sociology and then can funnel that through your art. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I think art for the sake of art is, if not empty, boring. And I also think like the impact that art has had on me was, was something that was really important and memorable. And so, like, in order to feel something through art, like, it has to have some other element in it than just, oh, this is pretty. It's like the, oh, that's cute. <laughs> oh, that's cute. That's cute. Um. Uh, that's cute. Now let me watch Knott's Landing. <laughs> so you discovered that, hey, I think in imagery, and so maybe all these drawings have been hiding away all my life means something. You get into this graphic design program where you really don't understand <laughs> where your future lies in it. So where did your future lie? 
in all of that? So I actually thought I was going to become a graphic design academic because I went on this research trip with the architecture faculty. Um, everyone was invited, but it was put on by the architecture faculty. And I was pretty close with them, so I was like the only graphic designer that went. And I was also the only first year graphic design student that went. But I wrote this paper about kind of like what you were talking about, how everything that you see in the world, somebody put some thought into that. Like somebody designed it for you. Sometimes they didn't put very much thought into it and you can always tell. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. We did this research project in Malaysia where we went to three different areas and you got to study the topic of your choice. And so a lot of people did, you know, like traditional architecture or modern architecture or whatever they were interested in. And I did graphic signage. So I did a study of what the signage looks like, what the draw is for the people there, how the people there behave and dress and how is that like culturally relevant and any other like kind of outstanding points that that you kind of notice as you walk into an area so I did this like comparison apparently people liked it because it almost got published in some design journal but they don't publish first year's work so you have to pair up with a PhD just across the board they won't um you have to have a PhD in order to (laughs) do that that seems very elitist (laughs) So they actually well, you wrote something really worthwhile, but you don't have the right piece of paper, so we, we wouldn't yeah. dare publish this. But they were actually so great about it, they gave me a PhD. Wait, what? They, not, not me personally a PhD. Oh, they gave they, me a PhD They gave person. me a person with a PhD to co-write the paper with me, because he was this guy who was like studying wayfinding, and so like our topics kind of went really well together. So I ended up running out of money, so I moved away from Australia, I came back to LA, and that thing just kind of fizzled out. So really, they didn't do you a favor and give you a PhD. They ruined your chances (laughs) of a publication. I mean, like, by now, the information is probably so outdated. Like, if someone read it, they'd be like, oh my god, what is this, like, 2003? But yeah, so I came back. I kind of put art on hold when I came back for a long time. I wasn't going to school. I was kind of just, like, really stressed for money. So I was just working whatever jobs I could get. And um, that lasted for about five or six years. And I finally went back to school. I got my graphic design degree and I got a really awesome internship at this place in Burbank called Meat and Potatoes, where I kind of learned like what the job of graphic design really was. I think even when I first went in, I was still like a little unsure, but they definitely gave me like a really good foundation for for what the job entails. They said, we don't know either. We just know people (laughs) offer us work and we take it. But yeah, it was it was a cool um, place to be for a few years. And then finally I decided like I wanted some new experiences. So I went and worked at a different place for a while. Didn't really love it. Was out after seven months on my own. I started making illustrations and doing shows while I was working at the first graphic design studio because I was spending way too much time by a computer and mm-hmm. I felt like creatively starved. Like graphic design is kind of creative, but like I said, it's really like being a car mechanic yeah it's creativity with a commercial goal yeah i don't mean to like insult any graphic designers but i felt like all the stuff i was working on was relatively meaningless like dvd covers cd packaging food packaging i mean i still do graphic design and i realize it's like a necessity in the world but like for me in terms of searching for meaning in life like that wasn't going to do it for me it is a means to help sell something it is not a way to share who you are as a person 
with yeah. the rest of the world. And if you are a graphic designer who's trying to force a communication with the world from yourself into your work, you may be doing your work a disservice. <laughs> this is true. Then you are making art with the tools yeah, of graphic This is design. really great. I get a really good idea of the kind of person you are. I don't know why anyone would purchase this bread. And probably we should have less blood. Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to sidetrack us for a minute because we've been talking about design and, and art and illustration for a long time. And we mentioned earlier that you were a climber, and these two things do come together at some point. So before we reveal that, how did the climbing come about? How did that become part of your life? Oh, let's see. I started climbing when I was in college. Oh, my God. I'm going to date myself horribly here. But I first went to college in 2003, so it must have been like 2004. I was already out of college. By really? Then, so that should make you feel better. Oh, my God. You look so young. <laughs> It's the climbing. It's, just, it's like the fountain of youth. I started climbing at uh, Recreation Costa Mesa with a couple of friends. It was like super casually. Like it was just a thing to do like on a weekend once in a while. But I always thought it was super fun. But I was really heavy into martial arts like six times a week going to seminars like were you still doing that style with the really long name that i wouldn't dare <laughs> try to pronounce no you'd moved on to an easier to pronounce style <laughs> no i just i just stopped <laughs> it made me really sad actually when i stopped because i think i i also need like the physical movement in my life and i think now that i have climbing like it it serves that need but yeah since i was doing so many things in college i kind of put it on hold and then i want to say like six or seven years later like I, I went back to it and did it for a little while and then I always thought climbing did you do it overseas at all or only in the states only in the states okay interesting yeah and also like only indoors really until until much later so you were a gym rat I wouldn't even say I was like a gym rat I was one of those like super casual gym people who went like, <laughs> like once once like every three months once or every something. couple years <laughs> but I always thought it was like a really good time <laughs> I always thought like climbing was for really rich people because the gym memberships are like kind of expensive yeah, and then are. you need all this stuff like you need shoes and chalk and harnesses if you want to rope climb and all the gyms were pretty far away from me so like you need a car to get there and it just seemed a little like inaccessible so that's one of the reasons why I never did it regularly. It was the same thing for me growing up except there weren't that many gyms at that point and I was in the south where they're really... Oh. wasn't even a concept of it so my whole idea of climbing was oh this is one of those things that like very particular athletes do yeah and no one else does little did i know about everything else that was going on simultaneously yeah no definitely so i'd actually bought climbing shoes like five years before i really started climbing because i knew i wanted to do it like i knew i was having a lot of fun but you know it was just like the the driving and the the money and all that stuff just wasn't available to me so when i actually did start climbing it was right around the time all of the like la gyms opened or maybe just like a little bit before that so i was living in burbank and i would drive to like hangar 18 in south bay to go climb which is a ridiculous drive little did you know you could have just gone to stony point i know right <laughs> way, way sooner well like i had gone climbing outdoors before then and and it was fun but i also didn't have any gear like i didn't have right. any crash pads i just had one pair of shoes and like the cheapest truck bag you could possibly get at rei <laughs> so yeah i was like going to the gym a little bit one of my good friends from high school like he actually started climbing like a few years before and he was going a lot and so i asked him like hey like that looks like fun can you take me and so that's how i ended up going so I started climbing with my friend James, 
just kind of like in the very beginning and then I started to you know like make my own friends and and find my people and and at some point you did start climbing outside and now you're like a super good strong (laughs) climber that's very debatable (laughs) (laughs) let's put it this way out of the two climbers sitting right here you're by far the better (laughs) you realize that there was this thing that you lived a mile away from you could have been doing all along that wasn't being a drug addict and so you, you discover that you've discovered your true calling in the arts sure. and then at some point you decided to combine those two things how did I that did. happen so it was actually combining more than two things combining two plus things <laughs> so I took a printmaking class in college and I really loved it that's where I learned to screen print and so once I learned to screen print and I had graphic design skills and some illustration skills from doing like the little art shows and whatever I started to put all of those things together and make mini posters so I really liked the idea of just having punchy graphics with a couple colors that said something that was a little bit funny and cheeky and bold in a really simple way and I think that's kind of like the style that I'm after all the time And once I learned how to do that, a lot of people were like, hey, your stuff would look really good on t-shirts. Like, you should definitely do that. Hey, how can we make you be a commercial (laughs) artist again? (laughs) And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to do t-shirts. Like, what? Like, what an annoying thing to do. Like, like you have to print them on all these different sizes. You have to have, like, different colors. Like, people are so picky. I don't want to do that. Absolutely not. And so I was like, maybe I'll just stick to making postcards because postcards are easy like you just except nobody buys them I know <laughs> I know so I actually did do postcards at first my first project like in the dynamite starfish realm of things was postcards and I just handed them out for free because like people liked the drawings I was making and I was like okay well like I'll put it on postcards maybe I'll sell them at the gym and now I just give them out for free at the gym because like who's gonna buy that and you know that was one of the things like where practicality had to come in a lot of friends were like yeah that's great but nobody wants that and I was like oh I guess I have to consider it's tricky right because what do people use postcards for now People don't really send them to each other very often like they, they used do. to. I, I don't think they do like they did maybe in 1910 or something. Okay. You know? <laughs> maybe not with that frequency, but, you know, I've seen them. People frame them sometimes. I'm not telling you don't make postcards, but I'm telling you T-shirts are more lucrative. <laughs> they definitely are. I mean, like, I was not going to make any money with the postcards. Did a, did a bird oh just God. fly into your head? No, there's like seven squirrels running up this tree. It's insane. <laughs> These squirrels oh do not want the world to know about your T-shirts. <laughs> You're sabotaging. But yeah, so, you know, I was really reluctant to make T-shirts in the beginning. So I actually put them up on this website where you just upload your art and then the site makes it for you when someone orders it. Which one were you using? Society6. I didn't even know that one. There's so many of them now. Oh yeah. There used to, I think Cafe Press was one I used a long time ago. I don't even know Mm -hmm. if they still exist. Yeah, but I just, I think I got really frustrated with the lack of... um, Quality? Yeah. Yeah. And like the options, like you couldn't print on the back, you know, it had to be in a certain position, like in a certain way. You can't control what kind of fabric as much that you're printing to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still use it for stuff that I don't want to take on the task of printing that I think, like, serves its purpose well. Like, right now I'm working on a 
like 100 drawing project and I think I'm going to upload all those to Society6 because there's absolutely no way I'm going to print like a hundred different things. So you know I think it has its purpose but I ended up being unhappy with like the lack of flexibility there. Like you couldn't really pick your colors. I mean you could but it's all digitally printed and you can kind of tell it's digitally printed and being a printmaker that kind of turned me off. It was like okay like I've been silk screening posters for a while like I have the skills I know how to do it like let's see how it works on shirts and so yeah I kind of just I started doing it at first I had a friend like print them for me because I just didn't want to deal with it but it ended up being really expensive so then it became a living room operation <laughs> and I'm assuming at this point it doesn't have a brand name yet had you created your brand yet or was it just mm, Leslie's shirts no Gosh, I don't remember when I made the brand, but I remember like trying to figure out what the name was going to be for a long time. Yeah, because you are a graphic designer, so branding it is a thing you would think of sooner than many people. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely had the skills to like make it happen, mm -hmm. so it kind of like came naturally with like, once I made more than one shirt, I knew that like I had to give it a name. And what was that name? It's called Dynamite Starfish. All right. Um, I found it we on... We finally have said <laughs> what it is after we beat around the bush for so long. I found it on this list of climbing terms on the internet. So it wasn't a term you were familiar with ahead of time? No. Because I wasn't familiar with it either. No. But I thought maybe you picked it because people would say you did that a lot or something. I mean, like, maybe I did, but... <laughs> I actually, I want to look up the, the exact definition, if you don't mind. I'm just going to pull out my sure. phone. But it has this really funny definition, and when I came across it, it just made me laugh. And I felt like it embodied so much of the way I felt about climbing. Did you feel like it represented the way you had traveled through life so far? Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think there's definitely a connection between like the way that I climb and the way that I live. And it's all just very, like... I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, here, I found it. Dynamite starfish, tightly gripping handhold, simultaneously flagging out both legs, then proceeding to violently kick downwards and inwards in a desperate attempt to produce upwards motion, making the climber resemble an explosive bottom feeder. That just, I mean, it, that makes me laugh. <laughs> and for people who really still can't picture what that is because they don't know what flagging and other things are, just imagine a person climbing an overhanging thing, hanging from it, they think they're going to fall off of it, so they just start kicking their legs in the air thinking that will somehow propel them upwards <laughs> so just basically flailing yeah yeah there's so much of that in climbing and in life so i picked that as the name i was like working with a copywriter like one of my good friends is a copywriter and we just toss ideas back and forth and i'd be like hey what do you think about this it's and two terms that go well together for illustration purposes yeah 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 and it's just like everything that I came up with was like oh like I don't know like I don't really love it and then I just typed that word to her and she was like yes like this is <laughs> this is just what it has to be and I was like all right cool like I think I think we got it and what about what time was this when when you started doing all this are we talking a year ago four years ago I want to say it was a little over two years ago because I remember having all these discussions while I was still working at um like an ad agency that I was working at I really wanted to get out of agency life. I kind of um, 
tried to like work really hard on the brand to try to get something going um, so I could have something to work on when I left. I think I was disillusioned in the fact that I thought it might actually make me any money. But when I when I quit my advertising job, I just went freelance designer and then also like business owner, like making t-shirts. Yeah, I think that was like two and a half years ago. So about two years ago, Yeah. you disillusioned yourself thinking you were going to make money at it. Oh, for sure. So I assume what you do now then is you freelance and then also do Dynamite Starfish on yes. the side. Yes. And is it making you any money yet? Um, It's making me more money than it ever was, which is still not a lot. Mm-hmm. And I may still not have made much money considering the money that I put in. Right. I, re- I realize that it kind of makes people chuckle and like it makes people laugh and that's worth it to me. And when people hear like why I'm doing it you know like a lot of people are like oh cool like I I believe in you or I wish I had done that and I'm glad it exists so in a way I feel like I've made this thing exist that other people also had the idea for that they maybe had wanted to start but didn't quite get there explain to people what kind of shirts and other things you're making through that brand name I guess I make art about shared experiences in climbing So I think the shared experiences we have while climbing are not so much like sending something hard or doing really strong moves or going to some place that's beautiful, although those are all things that happen while climbing and like, yes, you're bound to achieve your goals if you try hard. But I think I'm I'm kind of less concerned with the outcome, like hitting your goal, going to this place, climbing a mountain, whatever, and more about like the process of getting there. I mean, the most well-known shirt that I have is like this really kiddish drawing of like two hands that are all taped up and one of them is bloody and it says keep climbing at the bottom. I think there was something about climbers like that I saw, like there was like a common perseverance that every climber had that I saw. Like they would be hurting, they would be injured, but they were still gonna keep climbing. And what was the reason for that? Like I, I wanted to find out. So that was kind of the, the reason why I started making that type of art. If you take people climbing that have never been climbing before, you can tell the people who maybe are going to continue along with it because there tend to be two types of people when you take like a new person climbing. Yeah. The person that like fails and then refuses to give up <laughs> and keeps trying and then and then maybe gets bloody hands and then they go back up and then there's the person who never really falls and says, oh, that's good, I'm done. Yeah. And they want to come down and then they're like, yeah, no. I'm, I'm good for the day and then they don't want to go up again and the person that's bloody in their hands on the first day and just doesn't want to give up you know that they're maybe going to want to come back again they're probably having more fun yeah i think so <laughs> so yeah that's kind of like what propelled me to start making the art and i also just saw like there wasn't a lot of art out there in the climbing world and a lot of stuff i was seeing was you know it was very much like how do i explain like you're not about to you're not about to piss off jeremy collins are you Oh, no, I think he's great. <laughs> but just, like, in general, like, the, the designs in climbing, it was, like, a little bit 90s, and I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at here. There are a few really good climbing illustrators, and then a whole lot of people that aren't, like, art is not necessarily their field. They're just maybe trying their hand at it. That yeah. That things together. Yeah. And I think, like, when it comes to climbing, there's a lot of opportunity for, like, cheeky language. Everyone who gives me a shirt idea is like, oh, you should make it this, like, kind of raunchy thing. And I'm kind of like, oh, like, yeah, that's funny, but 
it's been funny for like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's also maybe not funny the 12th day you put that shirt on. Right. It's, yeah. Right. It's making some sexual innuendo dro- joke about nuts and yeah yeah and like to be honest like it it makes me laugh there's nothing wrong with it but it's just not the type of art that i want to make and that's like a personal choice it's not to say it's like not entertaining like it's funny it's really funny (laughs) but it's just not like the type of thing that i do you're more interested in flailing definitely (laughs) definitely self-embarrassment is a a big thing for me so you mentioned a 100 images project you're working on right now so tell us about that project Sure. So my 100-day project is called 100 Drawings About Climbing. Um, I'm posting them like on Instagram. That's a very specific name. (laughs) (laughs) And I realize now they're actually not all about climbing. They're just drawings that, you know, like maybe I had a thought while climbing and that's what I ended up drawing for that day. Um, I haven't been that diligent about doing it every day, but I do plan to put out 100 by the end of the, the end of the project. And when is that supposed to be done? I have no idea. Oh, so it's just <laughs> whenever it finishes up. It's not like I have to do 100 in 200 days or something like that. No, I don't. I just don't think I could hold myself to something like that. Mo- mainly because my schedule is so unpredictable. And a lot of times, like, because I do digital illustrations a lot, like, I have to be at a computer and, like, at a desk where I can have my tablet out and stuff like that. It just gets hard to to hold myself to that. And I think I'd get really stressed out, honestly. Are you doing these 100 illustrations digitally? Are you doing mixed media? Are you doing some digitally, some some with pen and ink? They're mixed. Sometimes I do like a, there's a process that I started doing a long time ago when I first started printmaking was like drawing out each color in black and then scanning it and then overlaying it on top of each other. So I'll do that. So it's still hand-drawn, but in the end it's just compiled digitally and then like I'll um, choose the color in Photoshop for that layer or whatever. It's it's a combination of both. And a lot of the digital illustrations I do are like like paintings using like Photoshop brushes. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, those are those are the the drawings that I'm doing. So which number are you on right now? Oh my god, I'm not even that far. I think I'm on like are you in double digits? I'm in the double digits. Okay, that's good. I want to say I'm on like 15 or 16. Okay, so you got a ways to go. I have a long way to go. So what we should do is we should have everyone <laughs> on the show periodically email you. Oh my god, yeah. And say, hey, how come you're not up to number 45 yet? <laughs> hey, oh, I noti- to, to heckle me. <laughs> I noticed 36 went up. I'm really looking forward to 37. I was hoping that they would mail me some suggestions, but I'm oh, I'm sure, is okay I'm sure too. people would be happy to do that as well. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of really good um, suggestions from friends. I think I put out a request on Facebook for more ideas, and I got like an overwhelming response of ridiculous things that I'm really excited to draw. So yeah, you know, I kind of like can't wait to get back on that. I've been a little bit busy on the freelance design front, especially this week. So I haven't really done anything this week, but hopefully getting back on getting back on track next week. So what do you want for Dynamite Starfish in the future? And what do you want for your climbing in the future? <laughs> for my climbing in the future, I want to climb 513. <laughs> I don't climb 512 yet, but <laughs> that's what I want. But do you climb 511? Occasionally. All right, see, so that's a pretty good start. Sure. I don't climb 511, <laughs> I can tell you that for, for damn sure. Yeah, I was actually really inspired by my friend's wife who climbed her first 513 at age 40. And I'm 32 now, so like... I believe that it is a possibility. I may not get there, but it's like fun to think about. So yeah, I mean, in climbing, I think I also just want to get out and travel more. Even before I started climbing, it was always like a goal of mine to see more of the states. Like I had been 
out of the country a lot and like I had really enjoyed seeing different ways of life in other countries but I never really saw the way people lived like in the U.S. I like that you're saying that because I think it's really easy in the U.S. because it's so big for everyone to kind of stay in their region and then stereotype all the other regions. Yeah. And some of the stereotypes are kind of true, but most of them really aren't. And so every part of the country has a totally inaccurate idea of what the rest of the country (laughs) is like. And thus we all argue and don't take each other's comments seriously because we are basing our thoughts on these stereotypes that are inaccurate. So I agree with you. I think it is very worthwhile as a citizen of the U.S. to see as much of the U.S. as you can. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think climbing is a really good excuse to kind of get out and see other parts of the U.S. Because we have so much climbing here. It's kind of crazy, like, how much is just, you know, a few hours away or, you know, like, pretty accessible if you have a car. Pretty varied, too. Yeah. Even just in California, there's so many varied types of areas you can go to within a few hours of each other. Definitely. Yeah, so I want to see more of the states. I kind of really want to go to the south. I've never been to the south. Actually, I spent like a couple days in St. Louis once, but that was in the city. That's Missouri. That barely counts. <laughs> Wait, what part of the south are you from? I'm from Louisiana. Oh. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Wow, I didn't know that. Is there any climbing there? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. What I climbed as a kid was trees and houses. Oh, and, uh, okay. Those are the high points. Louisiana is about as flat as you can get, with Mm. a few exceptions. From what I've learned since I moved, the closest climbing would be like northern Alabama or something like that. Okay. And apparently there there are climbing gyms now in Louisiana, but I don't believe there were any when I was there. So you want to see more of the U.S. and you want to climb 513, 540, is that the plan? Something like that. (laughs) Loose loose goals. (laughs) All right, and what's going to happen with Dynamite Starfish? You know, I don't know. It's been, like, kind of a cool journey just seeing where where it's gone like you know when I first started I didn't even think I'd be making t-shirts but like here I am making lots and lots of t-shirts because some of them are place-based and they also like donate back to certain areas like I make a Joshua Tree one and a Bishop one and I just printed um, a Wyoming one I send some of the proceeds back to different conservation organizations that like help do rebolting like in those areas or just like general cleanup and safety and accessibility so that's like something that I'm interested in as for like goals for the business I think I'd like to start you want to get bought up by Prana that's your ultimate goal oh god (laughs) (laughs) I mean if they're interested we could talk about it I mean I think it'd be cool to like get into some stores and just have like retail stores carrying the stuff because right now it's been a little hard to like store everything in my apartment and then like ship everything out to individual consumers so like if they're if, if they existed in stores, I think, you know, like, more people would see them. Like, it seems like when people see the artwork, they're, like, genuinely pretty happy about it. That would probably be the next step for me, like, farther down the road. I'm not sure. <laughs> right now, if people want to buy this stuff, they go to your website, right? Yeah, or I um, do pop-up shops sometimes, like, at gyms. I'll be doing one this Saturday, actually, at Center One in Santa Ana. This year was the first year that I really started going to climbing festivals so I did the women's climbing festival in Bishop that was in March for Flash Foxy we recorded a podcast there oh my god really yeah with uh, Annabelle and Andrea from the Access Fund conservation road team oh so, so you I, did, I didn't even know you were, I wasn't actually there because I'm not a woman but I did appear oh. at the end of the festival one night and sit down with them for an hour and a half no but that's cool because I had no idea that you were there and, uh, and they yeah. were selling shirts there 
Yeah, so I was a vendor there um, and a sponsor. I went to the event the year before to the first one and it was just like a really cool vibe. I really liked just climbing outside with all the ladies. That was like a joy for me to be there. I'm gonna do the International Climbers Festival in Wyoming in mid-July. So that'll be like, I guess that'll be my first like co-ed festival, right? Because it won't be just women. You know, I might plan for some stuff later in the year too, but nothing solid yet. Right now, is the plan stick with shirts and postcards or do you think you're gonna wanna branch out into other sorts of products as well? Um, I definitely think I want to branch out. I just don't know exactly what products yet. Biology um, textbooks. Oh, God. <laughs> Starfish biology. <laughs> Actually, that could be a great shirt. Like a bi- like a biology uh, textbook style oh. illustration of a dynamite starfish. Yeah. And it's different, it's different components of its body and how they relate to its ability to climb yeah. well or badly. Yeah. So there you go. That's I'm one like- of your 100. Seeing it as like an exploded diagram yeah, with yeah, like yeah, little yeah. pointers. All right, I want that to be number 16 or whatever you're, whatever you're on. I like it. I'll do it. I'll do it just for you. But anyway, back to what we were talking about, I which is if you want to if you want to branch out into anything else or if you think you want to stick with t-shirts and postcards for the foreseeable future. I think I'm going to stick with what I have for now. I want to do some other stuff, but I think something that I really like, I kind of struggle with is like I want to make something that's useful. Like, t-shirts are fun and like it's a way to express yourself and like show support for certain things. And I think there's some usefulness in that, but I also don't want to just be like cranking out products for the sake of cranking out products. So, I mean, it'll be something to think about. It'll probably take me a while to think about it. You know, people have been telling me a lot to make patches and I've, I've been thinking about it, but I guess it's just the way I am with patches. I collect them and I don't you never use, use them. them. Yeah, same way. Yeah, and I have like pants with giant holes in them. I'm like, patch would be great for that, but I have like 30 of them and I'm like, but which one do I use? Like, I can't pick one. <laughs> Maybe I should start using some patches and then I'll like be convinced that they're very useful and then I can start making them. <laughs> <laughs> people should write and let you know what kind of products they want. And as soon as 50 people say the same product, <laughs> then you start making them. <laughs> that could be a good way to do it. I could put like a poll online or something. Like, what do you find useful <laughs> as a person who climbs? So if people want to purchase some of your t-shirts or see what you're up to or just follow in your quest to climb 513 I wouldn't even (laughs) (laughs) where should people go to find those things Um, so my website where you can buy all the things at is www.godynamitestarfish.com and then I think the social media channel that I probably use most often is Instagram. It's also Go Dynamite Starfish. Yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm pretty easy to find. You can email me anything. I, I think anything. I think people <laughs> need to email you a number of things. They need to email you what sort of products they'd like to buy. Most importantly, they should email you what they want to see you draw for your 100 <laughs> illustrations. And then maybe even more importantly than that, they need to email you and say, Hey, what's up? We haven't seen one of your hundred illustrations in a week i know (laughs) it's time for a new one i know yeah anyone's welcome to heckle me anytime i'm always just happy to to talk to people so yeah email away so if she's she she doesn't want to be lonely so so please email her (laughs) (laughs) i'll get coffee with you (laughs) so what i always like to do at the end of the show is give people a chance to just leave any final thoughts they have 
or mention something that we never got around to or leave some huge piece of wisdom that they can impart <laughs> on the audience. Oh, geez, that's a hard one. That's like a bomb to drop at the end. Of, oh, my God. I'm like hungry. It's time for lunch. <laughs> I think the, the thing that I've learned while doing this project and also through flailing through life is to not be afraid to fail or flail or look stupid or any of the above and all of the above. And if you feel strongly about doing something, you should do it. And you should go all in and you should never regret it. All right, see, you totally had something to say. <laughs> Everybody always does. I used to think that that was a dumb thing to do at the end of the show. And every single time I'm, I'm so happy I do it because somebody always says some great thing. <laughs> all right, well, so now I'm gonna go let you have lunch and we'll stop getting attacked by squirrels. <laughs> And then we'll get the hell out of Echo Park, where no one is allowed to park today for street sweeping. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly nice over here, actually. Yeah, it's not bad. It's yeah. not bad. So thanks for taking time out of your day to come meet me here and talk about this stuff. Of course. Thanks for inviting me. So before we go, I would like to have everyone listening agree to four specific tasks, four pieces of homework involving Leslie Kim and Dynamite Starfish. Number one, don't forget to contact her and tell her what sort of products you would like her to sell to you in the future. And secondly, contact her with suggestions for her 100 drawings about climbing project. Number three... Harass her to finish all 100 of those drawings. And number four, convince her that she does indeed need to reconstruct El Capitan in Yosemite out of popsicle sticks. And how would you go about getting in contact with her? Well, let me set forth a convoluted path that you may follow. First, head to gogetoutside.com slash podcast. Look for this episode 53 with Leslie Kim. And there you will find lots of photographs, including the illustration we discussed in the show of the exploded diagram of a dynamite starfish. But also you will find many links, including godynamitestarfish.com where you can find a contact page and harass her and follow through with those four pieces of homework. Or, even more importantly than that, you could go ahead and purchase a t-shirt. You will also find links to Leslie and Dynamite Starfish's Instagram page, Facebook page, a link to all of the 100 drawings about climbing that she has currently completed, and finally, a link to lesliesamkim.com, where you can see some of her work and potentially hire her should you need her services. And since this is probably the part of the show where most of you stop listening and move on to other things, I will hurry through the end matter here. If you want to contact us here at the show, go at butcherbirdstudios.com. That's how you can email us or give us a call 818-925-0106. You can leave us a voicemail there of up to three minutes. And please head to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. And make sure you subscribe to the show, rate the show, review the show. And finally, please share this or some other episode with someone you know. Next time on the show, Aaron Nardi, former BMX pro, filmmaker, VX1000 fanboy. Come back August 1st, Aaron Nardi. 
See you then. <laughs>